You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to the show. This is Eli Steenlidge, and with me as normal is... Jeremy Holiday, And we have a special guest today. Um, Colin's with us to talk about Wonder Woman. So, uh, Colin, thanks for being on the show. How are you doing tonight? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Good. Yeah, and uh, Colin's full name is Colin Burnett. Thank you. Um, uh, he's on our show because when I was a grad student here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, um, I uh, took some classes with Colin because he was in the uh, film uh, department, um, and I was taking some film classes as well. I, I, did you also teach Commerce 100, Colin, back in the day with all of us? I did. Good old speech yeah. composition. Yeah. <laughs> um, I met a lot of people in nice. that gigantic core of TAs. Great. I want to have you do a little introduction of yourself uh, for being on the show and just kind of tell us a little bit of your background and uh, maybe some of your interest in film. Uh, Well, I'm a professor of film and media at Washington University in St. Louis, and I just completed a book on French cinema, actually the French director Robert Bresson. Uh, The book is called uh, The Invention of Robert Bresson, available at fine bookstores everywhere. Uh, (laughs) Great. And I'm now working on a book on James Bond. Oh, Oh, yes. Nice. I may have to have you come back on and talk about James Bond sometime. Anytime. Anytime. Uh, And I think one of the reasons we have you on the show is um, Jeremy found out you wrote uh, a brief article, I guess, on Wonder Woman. Um, And so we thought it would be a unique perspective on the film. Since, give us a little bit of background on Wonder Woman coming out. Uh, It's getting a lot of high praise, I think, as a superhero film, as a comic book film. And so we wanted to kind of explore what's going on in this film and what we think about it. Yeah, like, I mean, like Rotten Tomatoes, I think it was like brimming at like 97% at one point, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, And there, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about this film. Right. And... Give us some more kind of context for this film. Uh, This is the DC universe, which after uh, Christopher Nolan's um, Batman trilogy, I think the the reintroduction of sort of DC characters has not gone very smoothly, at least with critics. With audiences, it's been quite popular. Um, But critics have not liked them very well. So talking about Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, those sort of things, which I mostly agree with. But uh, coming in, a lot of people didn't know what to expect from Wonder Woman um, entering this universe. And so I think that's one element of um, kind of interest in this film and see what it would do. And then the other aspect is that it's directed by, um, by a woman. And uh, what it seems like both on kind of the Marvel side and the DC side, there's been a lot of talk about introducing uh, female directors and uh, with Patty Jenkins, this is the first time that it's kind of actually happened and come about. So I think people were also really interested to see a female superhero get her own film and also have uh, a female director uh, uh, leading this film. So that's kind of my first question um, for us tonight is, you know, does this, is this really that big of a deal? 
um, to have a female director and female-led superhero film? And is this film in particular something uh, saying something substantial as sort of a feminist statement, as a lot of people are claiming? Um, does that even really matter that much? Can we? What, what do we think of it just as its own film? Um, I think those are all kind of questions wrapped up together. And, and just people are making a big deal of all of these different aspects. So uh, we'll try to kind of break that down a little bit. But yeah, what is your guys' kind of general thoughts on the film and kind of looking at it from, uh, from your aspect? Well, I mean, I can go first. The, I, yeah, I go think ahead. it's a big, it's an absolute, to start with the first point. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a big, big deal indeed that Patty Jenkins directed this movie in ways that may, we may not even know about unless we poke around a bit and look at how the movie was produced. Mm -hmm. uh, I myself have not done that. I know friends on social media who are doing it as we speak, how yeah. she worked closely with, uh, with the actors and developed kind of her own approach, a different sense of camar camaraderie on the set that doesn't involve the kinds of camaraderie that one might get with a man at the helm. Mm. Um, little things like this, I think, matter because, you know, Hollywood movies could be made differently depending <laughs> who's making them. Right. How's, that, how's that for a modest? <laughs> right, yeah. um, so I think on that level alone, it's well worth it. On, just to add one more point to that Patty Jenkins uh, yeah. matter. I mean, I, I, look, uh, the very fact that, and you surely have them as well on social media, friends of mine, who uh, are women, who are trans, who are gay, lesbian, that they are, they feel such an attachment to this movie as a result of having a woman at the helm of a major blockbuster production, and especially a superhero movie. Yeah. That alone should make us think twice and, and ponder this a little bit more and to listen to them and how they're responding. Well, and I think, I mean, from from uh, what I wanted to add, I have a lot of um, good friends who were gay. I, I helped start a gay rugby team in town 10 yeah. years ago, which sort of got me involved in the community here. Um, and there are there's like a whole generation of gay men like in their 40s and 50s that that just grew up with the Linda Carter Wonder Woman as this this apex of, you know, they loved her. They loved what she did. They loved the kind of superhero she was. They loved that show. They loved the camp. Mm -hmm. um, and then to ha and so to have a, a modern movie of her uh, done by a woman, uh, it's like a huge deal. You know, like, um, and I think that, uh, you know, just like the, the X-Men and the way the X-Men were mm -hmm. uh, uh, in like a, a team of misfits that was also very appealing to, to trans people and gay people that didn't fit in anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, this movie um, being a big deal, mm -hmm. um, being well-produced, well-funded, um, well-done and successful, um, it, there's a lot of – I don't know. There's a lot of folks uh, you know, previously on the margins pumping their fists in the air with yeah. a, a huge smile on their face. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't, my daughter's only a year and a half, um, but it did make me start to think about, you know, the type of films that I'd be able to introduce her to and, and show her. And from what I'm just hearing just around uh, the internet and other uh, articles and podcasts and things that people that have taken their, say, teenage daughters, uh, things like that, that it's been a very powerful experience. And even for... Um, not just young girls, but women of all ages has been very exciting. So I, I think we can't deny, you know, whatever our own experience might be. And certainly we are three dudes talking about this. But Indeed. That right. This, this, is, <laughs> this is a very much a big deal for, um, for women of all ages and, and young girls. 
uh, to see that sort of representation on the screen and know that a woman did make the film, direct the film, as you said, can't emphasize that a much, uh, much more. And I know I was listening to another podcast and they mentioned, you know, the sort of these type of superhero uh, action film characters that we saw when I was a kid was like Indiana Jones. Like I wanted to be Indiana Jones um, when I was a kid. And they just mentioned how they're that women or girls did not have that in the media at all. Like they didn't have somebody to look up to, um, to even imagine that sort of setting that you know, someone like an adventure. So, I mean, that helped me see it in a different context, uh, that I wouldn't, you know, being who I am, I would not normally notice. Um, well, there were, there are, yeah. there were of course a few exceptions, but they're the exception, sure. I guess, that proves the rule like She-Ra or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which was also a kind of, adopted but well i'm not joking i think it's that's actually was a pretty good show i watched it myself mm. not knowing who i was that i was not really the one being addressed by that show mm. curiously so mm-hmm. i had figures i had she-ra uh, figures yeah, yeah. i was actually at one point more into she-ra than i was into he-man um <laughs> what does that say about me i don't know but uh it, it what i mean to say is though uh there there were some examples but they were fleeting uh, and yeah, sure. My Little Pony, uh, other things too. But you're yeah. talking about action heroes, so She-Ra would be one of the few examples there, I suppose. Yeah. 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 And and I think uh, Jeremy can speak to this too, certainly, um, since it comes up a lot. But we do have Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the recent past, um, which I think was doing a lot just as a character in the sort and of action superhero type character. Yeah, and it's a shame. I mean, a, a number of franchises were planning, you know, uh, over the last few decades to do just what they've done here. Action hero, woman, the yeah. James Bond franchise, for instance, in 2003, there were whispers about a whole Jinx series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that never came about. But they actually did write scripts, but it never came about, curiously. Yeah. yeah. This has been percolating for some time, I guess. But um, even now, you wonder what the effect will be. I mean, I guess this is really important to the conversation. Right. Uh, uh, will Hollywood executives now change their minds, I guess is the big question. Mm-hmm. It seems like, though, I, you know, I'm a little skeptical, and old habits die hard. I yeah. Think. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one of the things that I uh, that stood out for me when I watched the movie, I'd, watched a, I'd read a little bit of um, criticism beforehand, and some of the criticism, which I think you would say, too, is like some of the CGI at the beginning is kind of wonky. Um, you know, the third, uh, the second act shines, the third act's kind of... CG at the end as well. A little too much. But, I mean, watching it, I mean, like, it, it's not just, like, you know, I mean, it's not just, a, like, a, a Wonder Woman movie. It's, like, the, the whole first act is just, like, super girl power, badass women all over the place without a man for, like, 30, 40 minutes. Um, and I just, I mean, like, and I, like, I, I, I kind of, I, I tend to like comic book movies if they're done well. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't read comic books when I was a kid. Um, I read graphic novels. I'm into, like... More, I, I like The Watchmen. I like Frank Miller. You know, I like uh, um, Alex Ross. I like the more thoughtful, artsy stuff. You know, like Sandman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I was watching the first part, even with the, the action, like I, I liked the way they did the sort of they jump around. It is kind of really slow for a minute because it looked like pages from a comic book. I mean, and I know yeah. that there's a way you can do comic book action in which it's sort of flowing. Um, but I sort of really like the artistry and composition of these women flipping in, you know, in CG. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, I thought it was really well done. Um, and I, when I think about what does it mean in the film 
um, that we have this uh, we have Patty Jenkins as the director, and and I think back to when I saw um, Lost in Translation because um, yeah. we have Sofia Coppola um, working with Scarlett Johansson, and there's just this this a scene at the very beginning where you know the camera sort of pans down a little bit on Scarlett Johansson, and the camera stops at her waistline, and we don't get to see her behind. <laughs> Right, and I was like, from the right. very beginning, the the like the the frame of the camera is treating her mm-hmm. body very differently. Yeah, um, and I think it carries through, and and that happens throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And so, in watching Wonder Woman, I mean, there's like a lot of scantily clad women, but it's it's done very tastefully. Yeah. Um, camera angles, framing, um, and the the thing that I think, and and this is like like you were saying, Colin, about like the production. I'm interested to see what people talk about how Patty Jenkins did things because from my point of view she was able to get a a phenomenally charismatic and authentic performance out of Gal Gadot in this film she just like beams all over the place and you know like every smirk every turn of the eye you know every time she you know charges in and says something or charges back it feels tremendously authentic and real and like old leather in a way that (laughs) Um, comic book movies normally don't, which I think we um, we were talking before, and then you mentioned the first Thor film. It's like it's similar to that for me. Like he he's just so adorable with his like um, his flannel shirt, like smashing glasses on the floor. That I don't. I mean, that's what I liked about him. I, I don't care about the hammer and the lightning. It's sort of not really interesting. But um, again, the, that fish out of water and that um, element of authenticity. Like I know I'm going on here, but the um, the Wonder Woman, as Gal Gadot portrays her, is committed to a complicated idea. Mm-hmm. And I think she presents that physically with her reactions and the way she acts in that space. And I feel that, like, I, I, don't get, I haven't gotten that in any of the other superhero mm-hmm. films. And, and I, I would not be surprised if, when we hear people talk about how the film was produced, that that has to do with the, the environment and the, the interactions between Patty Jenkins and the actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised either. I think that's a really great point. I mean, I think Gal Gadot's performance, uh, I mean, for I think the movie is flawed in many ways. Uh, and that's not, I mean, every movie is flawed in many ways. Uh, superhero movies tend to be, you know, they fit into certain, a certain genre. They, you have to have an action set piece, every act and that kind of thing. So you're, you're forced into a kind of, uh, into a kind of uh, mold, if you like. But Gal Gadot's performance, I mean, from moment to moment, if you consider all of the, t- the modes or the, the, the emotions she has to project over the course of this movie, I think it's really, really extraordinary. And to me, a big test, uh, not, well, I'll, I'll clarify this in a second, but a big test for superhero movies is how well the central actor, how well the, the, uh, the star does comedy. Um, don't ask, yeah. I, I can go into that if you want. Now it seems that Marvel, every movie's a comedy, on, on, <laughs> at least on the surface right. level. And mm-hmm. so I don't mean whether or not they can deliver the stark snark. Um, right. that, that seems like any actor can do that, and they expect every actor to do it. But I mean in terms of that whole sequence in Act 2 when she uh, is in London, mm-hmm. where she you, the, the, and camera positioning and distance is really crucial there, filming her trying on the corsets and, and with the, the heels and all that stuff. I think Gal Gadot's performance is really extraordinary there. She mm-hmm. just has a sense of how to use her body she doesn't even change her face it's almost like marilyn it's almost like marilyn monroe in some ways how to use the 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 frame to to generate a reaction um you keep the you keep your face kind of flat uh deadpan and then you use your body to generate 
the interest, sexual appeal, or comedy. It was, uh, so she starts there, but then ends up with a little bit more of a serious tone by the end, which she handles quite well, too. I think it's a really great performance in a superhero movie, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, the, like you said, fluctuating between those different uh, emotions, and I and I think not even the extremes, but when she is just trying to convey um, sort of an earnestness um, with some of the, the conversations she has with Steve about the war and things like that, when she's not even necessarily angry, but she's just sh- really passionate, and I think that sometimes is harder to pull off, too, because I totally believed, you know her, her uh, sort of earnest and innocence in those moments of what she believed and what she was going after. And I, and I like characters like that you can kind of feel that in them. It helps that she was surrounded by a movie where, where there, and this is my big complaint if we can stand back with a lot, mm-hmm. of, the Marvel, a lot of the Marvel movies, is this is a movie where they actually tried to, to convey to you that there are stakes here. Yeah. That yeah. By, the, by the end of the fourth act... Uh, that you're going to have some sort of conflict that's going to have to resolve something important. That yeah. the that the performer, or sorry, the, the main character is going to have to evolve in order to achieve that goal, and that you're, it's going to matter at the end to the character and to you. And very often, you know, if you watch Guardians of the Galaxy uh, two, it's like, good grief, what are the stakes there? I mean, it's just they try to they try to make you care about the fact that there's, uh, you know, Kurt Russell is the father and what happened to the mother. But it just it just conflicts so much that earnestness with the stark snark, as I keep calling it, yeah. that its way throughout most of these movies. It's like, how am I supposed to respond to the earnest moments? This mm-hmm. this movie kind of compartmentalized the comedy to that second act, and I think therefore kind of make it made it work when it got to the more earnest moments and the stakes selling you on it. I did want to step back a little bit and talk about the kind of representation of women. Uh, Jeremy was talking about how they were portrayed on the island for that, that first, uh, first section where we just see the women together and the way that they're shot. And I, I've heard opposing views. I've heard some people say that this film is free of the male gaze completely. And I think I've also heard people, uh, you know, mothers maybe complaining that um, this is a strong woman that we see represented, or strong women, but in the end, they always get back to her kind of basically, you know, in a swimming suit, um, battling and things like that. But I do, I do think there is something important about on that island at the beginning, uh, like Jeremy said, we don't see any men, um, but we see uh, women being strong, um, being physical, but there isn't it it does seem like it's not a view of them as sexualized or uh, seeing this to be sort of just for entertainment purposes, but it does sort of lift up the, the physical form of women. And, and certainly they're supposed to be godlike, and, and we know that about Wonder Woman as the movie moves forward. But I think it's more of that portrayal, and we kind of see that evidenced in when Wonder Woman's mother kind of tells her this story about mythology, and we see it represented as these old mythological type paintings and stuff like that of of how they're viewed but i was just curious what you guys think about that and actually how they did shoot both wonder woman and the other amazons from the island um and and just how you felt about that well i mean from my perspective how can it how can a movie of this that has to sell this many tickets to make it back its budget, <laughs> not uh, not have the male gaze in it somewhere. Right, I just don't. Right, I, I just don't get how you people would want to argue that it's not there. It's the same problem actually. When I was watching this, I was thinking about what's going on. Sorry, this is going to sound idiosyncratic, but what's going on in women's wrestling right now? 
Um, women's wrestling is, is in a golden age, and I'm talking about WWE here. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> the, the athletes are better than they've ever been. The matches are uh, uh, on par with what the men can do in the ring, but they are scantily clad. And so I think you, it comes with all of the contradictions therein. I think yeah. the same thing goes here. And it's just one of those things where when you're, you know, can you properly have a feminist blockbuster? In some ways, I could imagine a scenario where you wouldn't have women looking like this. But I don't think that female beauty and depicting it necessarily leads to the idea of a male gaze and a treatment of them that way. But I do think there are moments in this movie where her body is sexualized, to be sure. Yeah. And to to get us on board with uh, with taking pleasure in that, one thing that undercuts it though, and I think that this is very important, is the time when the moment early in the movie when Chris Pike uh, gets out of the bath, or yeah, I think yeah. it's a bath at the time. Mm. Yeah, like a mystical at, pool. Yeah. Yes. So he, if you remember how it's shot, he's not aware that he's being looked at by the camera, and then she steps in to the mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. We then get a shot reverse shot. Or where we get an eyeline match, and it's clearly following where she looks, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah, there, right. There his, there his body is on display. So there's a female yeah. gaze woven into this, at least in that scene. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly there are moments when she gets to England where whenever she's introduced to people, they usually, you know, make some sort of expression about her her beauty and stature and just being amazed by that. And I did like that, you know, when we also get introduced to Steve's sort of team of of spies and stuff that he goes with that that's their reaction at first too and they're sort of just amazed by her beauty and things like that and treat her um how you would in that society but they move towards seeing learning more about her and her personality and what she stands for and how she uh what she fights for they eventually follow her when when they need to you know they step back and say hey you you're the one that's supposed to be um, ch- you know, charging ahead and we will follow you. So I think that was a good yeah. sort of transition and, and how showing how people um, gave her respect. When she I also to think, too, I mean, I was having a conversation with my good friend um, Marcy the other night. Hey, Marcy. And uh, one of the things she said, uh, uh, and she would consider herself like a, a pretty strong feminist, she actually enjoyed the fact or thought it was good that people acknowledged the fact that um, Wonder Woman was tremendously beautiful mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to like... Sure. Because yeah, it's like – as opposed to like, oh, of course, like all women who exist in the cinematic world are beautiful. Like it's not right. a big deal. Right. Um, and she thought it was uh, – you know, it was like it, it's a true fact um, and it's a way that people look at her body and, and it's sort of an honest it, – it like acknowledges what it is. Yeah. Um, and it felt better than her being like, you know, surrounded by poorly dressed men in, in, <laughs> in an immaculate like bronze something or other and no one commenting that that's a big deal. Right. You know? If I could just add one more thing. I mean, yeah, sure, please. We're sticking to the, mainly to that first act, but I mean, I think the more troubling part of this movie when it comes to representations of women is comes at the end and the resolution of the whole thing. Do we want to skip ahead or are we... I, I, I think so. Cause I think we can come back. I mean, we have to... I mean, act two is, I think, Fabu or act two or three. Um, but I think it, yeah. it, it is important to talk about um, the arc and the trope and the mm-hmm. end is an important part of that. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, my view, I think there is where things become a little bit, uh, what should I say? Uh, it's, it, this is, seems a more traditional representation of women in the last yeah. act, in, yeah. in my view. When, you know, Steve does this selfless act of, you know, committing suicide in order to save, uh, save the world, if you like, um, that's what causes her awakening. 
at the end of the movie to the power. How can I put it? It's a cliche to the power of love. Yeah. Now, and that's how I put it in in my blog entry yeah. there. Uh, it, it's it, and then that's what gives her the impetus, the will, what she needs in terms of power to turn the tide against Ares. I think mm. that making her dependent on romance, which mm. is something that happens with Doctor Poison, albeit briefly in the movie as well. I think that's something that I found kind of disappointing after seeing what we had seen before. And I was very much hoping that that's what we would not see as the movie went along when I was watching it. I was like, please don't do that. But they did in the end. Um, I don't know what your thoughts about that are. Did you see it differently or the same uh, way? Well, uh, well, here, so um, I didn't – well, here, here's the thing. So there's a couple – I was – there's – well – I was disappointed in a lot of that interactions with in a lot of those interactions with Ares, um, and and I'll, I'll, the list of things I have are as follows. One, um, I think that the the writers for this show were at sort of like a, a B or a B plus grade, and I think uh, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins were cranking in like an A plus performance, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think what Ares says and what Ares does and that scripted action at the end of the movie is well written. It's not well-written enough. It's not up to par with what it needs to be. Um, you know, that scene in the, I think when she, when she steps out to save the people in the trench, um, and puts her shield out there and leads the charge, like that is the highest point in the movie for me. Um, and if absolutely, absolutely rad action set piece. Yeah. 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 And for, and for me, I mean, there's another, this is a side note, but there's another there's another thing that I like about it. Um, the way she sort of charged out, being like, you know, this there are people that are hurting. We go solve the problem. It's not complicated. And all the men around her are saying, no, no, it's really, really complicated. Let us mansplain World War One to you. Um, I love that she just charged forward. There's, um, it, it reminded me of um, stories that were told about this activist named uh, Mother Jones who lived around the turn of the century. She was a big labor activist. And there were plenty of stories, which I assume are true, of her like going into um, labor camps in Pennsylvania and West Virginia where there were lots of child labor, finding out what was going on, and just like charging out of the room with her broom to like go confront Straw Boss X somewhere. Um, and I really – and like I appreciated the – um, the moral clarity her charging out there with her shield represented, um, and it, it it resonated with a lot of other women historically that have done that kind of thing and gotten famous for it. I mean, it was uh, Mother Jones, and I think it was nineteen oh two, was imprisoned and called like the most dangerous woman in America because she um, had fomented such trouble, you know, in the Chicago Haymarket and a lot of other places. Um, to get back to the point, though. I was disappointed when she's wrapped up in those tank treads and, you know, her male companion gets blown up in the plane. I don't know why he has to blow the plane up. And that's what sort of motivates her. There were a couple things I thought, though. One, I think the film was trying to tell us by the by the she gets there's an explosion and she can't hear what he's saying to her. And and then he leaves. We 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 as as viewers eventually see that later. And we sure. s- we see that he says that he loves her, but she doesn't hear that. Um, so I'm I'm I was hoping that they were making space for her seeing a really good friend of hers make a selfless act, and that what is what motivates her. Because um, I I felt like they did some some work to kind of distance her from him, and I and I and I tried really hard to 
work as hard as I could to make that true. Um, what I what I would rather have seen because I really like to rewrite the ends of movies. Like, um, have you guys ever seen um, Motorcycle Diaries mm-hmm. um, about Che Guevara? Yeah. No. Well, so the, uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of Indian style. Anyway, he visits all these different places around Mexico and sees various kinds of suffering. And he's, in, he's at a leper colony at the end and he ends up like swimming across this gulf to go be with the lepers. And, and as he does it, there's the, the, the film shows these very uh, composed sort of still shots. You know, like where there's like, it, it's like, uh, see, he, there's a place where he saw a lot of workers and there's like, the workers are sort of all lined up in dramatic fashion, you know, with the sort of a, a, a slow camera uh, like a slow motion thing. So he goes back and sees all these images of the different people that he saw along his journey, and they become the motivation for him to make this leap. And and I really liked Wonder Woman's relationship with the women in the villages that she saved, the various people that she had interactions with, and I would love to have seen shots of those people um, and of other humans um, that she wanted to to save that she thought was worthy of helping um, be her motivation to jump up and punch Ares in the face with lightning. Um, and I, I was super disappointed that it was uh, her male companion. Yeah. I well, mean, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Colin. Oh, since, since we're rewriting the ending, uh, <laughs> let's, let's throw out a few possibilities. I, th- I think it is fun to do with superhero movies, especially now where every single one ends with some sort of cosmic, galactic, worldwide cataclysm. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's it kind of, you wonder how long they can keep going with this, especially, yeah. in, especially in Marvel. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, what am I, who am I to say these movies are making between, you know, 700 million and $2 billion, <laughs> okay? So that's why I'm sitting here. Um, but I, I just will say that it, to rewrite the ending, I think it would have been nice to see Something that we saw, we haven't mentioned this movie, but in Supergirl, now I'm talking about the original 1984 movie with Helen (laughs) Slater, where the villain actually was um, a woman too. Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you, what you have is, as the movie goes on, uh, I'm now going back to Wonder Woman, the first 40 minutes, yeah, mainly a female cast, predominantly female cast, uh, resoundingly female cast. But then what happens is it basically becomes a buddy war movie mm-hmm. with a bunch of men. And I, right. you know, I think it's quite good. It's nice seeing the actor from La N, uh, who I hadn't seen in some time. Uh, he plays, I can't remember his name actually, um, but I'll come back to that perhaps if it comes back uh, yeah. my, to my memory. Uh, it's nice seeing their interactions and so on, but then the cast is largely male. Now that's, mm-hmm. you know, what can you do? It's World War One, and that's it's men in the trenches. Um, but it would have been nice, therefore, to rewrite it so that Dr. Poison becomes more prominent as the movie goes along. I think it was a great actress playing her with conviction and yeah. kind of cool. You sort of were curious to see or hear more about her. That might have been a nice way, too, to build up to that kind of thing. I say that because, I mean, uh, the, um, the Ares character and especially uh, the performance by the actor whose name escapes me. Uh, David Thewlis? David David Thewlis. Yeah. Uh, There you go. I think it was a great performance. And the minute you see him on screen, you know that he might be (laughs) one behind it all. Uh, He might be Ares. uh, Because that's the central mystery driving the plot in many ways. It would have been nice, actually, to postpone the conflict with him. Mm -hmm. To sort of set it off maybe to, you know, the next movie, a sequel or third movie down the line. I know DC's not great for planning. um, But... (laughs) 
nor for that matter is Marvel in many yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. But that might that might have been a nice way to build anticipation. Just have him there as a kind of mystery to keep it going. Then you have the climax that would have been perhaps better with a woman and a woman and a more female cast at the end. That's just a an idea. Since we're rewriting the ending, I haven't really figured <laughs> out how it would work. But yeah. well, I mean, so for me, um, there's there's a lot that um, that Ares says, which is interesting um i i just think that there's um i don't know what to say there's just some important poetry that's missing in it like i mean one of the things that i uh what i said when i was in school like the epic poems you know i know you studied sort of the, the greek ones um i studied the ones in india um and one of the one of a sort of a important element of the ramayana and of the, the mahabharata these great indian epics is our our hero um, is often our, our hero in a particular story or substory is often a deity who's been you know incarnated on Earth and doesn't know who they are. They have they're more powerful than they know, um, but they don't. They they are they do not. They are confused about where they came from. They think they have a, like a humble origin, and it isn't until like a final conflict with another deity that they're that they come to true knowledge of themselves. So. Um, I, I like that arc in general where she doesn't know who she is. There's inklings of great power and that maybe she's being told a lie. It isn't until she interacts with Ares that she learns the truth. I thought the, the thing with the god killer was kind of well done. Um, the problem is though like um, the, the Wonder Woman character, you know, from what I know uh, of her in her show and in, and in books and certainly the way she's portrayed in graphic novels is she exists in this space separate from mankind. Um, and I think that um, in order for Ares to have any chance of convincing her to join him or not kill him or something, he has to not be a complete sleazeball. And he is a complete sleazeball from the beginning to the end of that final scene. Um, I think that there's there's a lot more he could say. I mean, like when he says the, the, the line when he's like, I'm not the god of war, I am the god of truth. That is interesting. He just didn't do it well enough and I don't think there's enough other things. You know, like I imagine him saying something like, you know, look, I, I taught humans to work metal and they built swords. You know, I, I taught them to to cut stone and they build castles. I taught them to, you know, to, to cultivate trees and they built bows. You know, I am merely, like he said, exposing the um, the horribleness of Zeus's own creation and and thus of Zeus himself because they're copies of him. Those are all interesting things. Um, he just is a sleazy guy with a mustache um, for the last like thirty minutes of the show of the movie, um, and I and they just kind of lose out. Yeah, I think uh, I I maybe saw more in that ending than you guys did. Um, I don't know. I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying, Jeremy. And I think they were trying to point to something bigger going on in humanity, and you know, I think the Wonder Woman and. Um, uh, What's his name? Chris Pine's character. Um, Trevor. Yeah, Trevor was the last name. Uh, that he, you know, they have this kind of discussion, and, and right before that sort of ending that he does that, he also admits that, you know, hey, I have this sort of potential to do evil in, my, in myself. It's not just these bad Germans that we're fighting or something. He said, you know, this is on all of us that we are caught up in this war. And, and I think that is also what Ares is getting at, like you said, that he just whispered these ideas to them, um, but it was them that, that followed through on them, you know, that they chose to, to go to war with one another and do, uh, to do evil. So I think that was an interesting aspect, almost making the villain um, ourselves, you know, humanity, which is not 
not the first time that we've seen that happen, but um, I think it was, and it was also a turning point for Wonder Woman to see past her sort of uh, innocent ideas of, you know, um, you know, just good or bad and what's happening. It brought, I, I guess I saw when she kind of mentions that, you know, it was love um, that inspired her. I, I saw it more as she saw a complexity in the um, uh, Trevor character. Um, certainly I think there was a, a, a inferring kind of romantic love, but also she saw a complexity in him when he gave himself up as a hero as well, that she was like, it's not only us as like godlike figures that Zeus created to do these heroic things, but humans have that potential as well as the potential for war. And I think that's more what she saw as like, I am in love with humanity through this, this person that I saw it in. And I totally agree that they could emphasize that more. Um, I think she did see in that other battle where she saves the village that she did see the impact of, you know, the women and children that um, were being impacted by these stupid things that men were doing caught up in this. Yeah. Um, so I think they tried to show some of that, but, and I totally agree, all of that could be done better. Set aside also the bad CG with David Thewlis turning into this big whatever with the armor. The guy from Diablo. And, and, you know, thing so, was, sort, sort of uh, reminded uh, me of, uh, this is a dated reference, but to yeah. Shredder from the second uh, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Those movie. Yeah, it's a little bit of but, uh, metal. I mean, I, I think, and I, I wanted to say this too. Um, there's just a clumsiness about how Ares is handled mm -hmm. that that maybe it works in a mediocre um, film, mm -hmm. but when you have like, a, like like this amazing performance from Gal Gadot leading up to that point yeah. in the film, you you got to bring your A game. It has yeah. to be written well. It has to be acted well. It has to be choreographed to a T, um, or else it's just sort of like. I don't know. It, it just looks really clumsy, yeah. um, especially like in, like that that scene again. Going back to that scene um, when she goes over the top, it's so well done mm -hmm. that you it, you know you got to if you if you're gonna do a big big old ending with lightning and stuff like it's yeah. you got it's got to be better. I think there's also a lot of confusion for me on like what her are her powers at that point. Like she shoots this blast back at him through her bracelets, but. Did, I didn't know she could do that or you know like that I feel like that's kind of cheating when you can say like suddenly she can increase her powers you know in some way I mean I think she was surprised a little bit too but um, you kind of have to give us uh, more information about what what she's possible of doing or, or presented a more realistic way than we saw well there's so much to, there's so much to respond to here let me um, <laughs> yeah. let me first say I do, I, do, I can't find myself I can't put myself in a position to be as charitable about the love <laughs> love affair. Yeah, the no, aspect. I mean, we are it, trying to it, rehabilitate it. That I, is, mean, I mean, certainly yeah. when, she, when she goes in her room after that, that battle in the middle of the film and then he stays, like, that is really forced and... <sighs> You know, not not appropriate to who their characters are up to that. But point. just think of the, just yeah. think of the. Let's do a commutation test and swap characters out. Think about this being a Superman movie, okay? Imagine Lois Lane flying a plane, killing herself, saving at least the human beings in that in that town, right? Uh, and more, and then that causing Superman to discover the power of love. <laughs> And he would he would then defeat Lex Luthor or General Zod or whatever. Mm -hmm. These are such firm gender roles yeah, that yeah. they have that they uh, that the writers have written the characters into that that's what frustrates me in yeah. many ways. They, they could have you know imagine this again rewriting the ending 
Imagine a super how radical it would be, a superhero movie with no culminating action set piece, mm-hmm. where where you, you get out of the sort of boys will be boys fighting and conflict resolves all idea. Now I'm not yeah. saying that 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 that's necessary to have a feminist blockbuster if we want that. I actually don't know what the necessary ingredients are. But if imagine a superhero movie where the idea is to go back to Jeremy's point about all those myths he was going. Uh, through that you would have a culminating act where it's about self-awareness or mm-hmm. learning about oneself, not necessarily through fighting or through action. That mm-hmm. could be something quite radical to prove. Yeah. You know, I'm saying, look, Patty Jenkins didn't write this thing. I mean, yeah. that's, mm-hmm. she came in, she gunned for hire, pr- probably. The script had already been written. She probably had some say. It would be nice to look at whether or not they took any of her advice in terms of rewrites or what was going on on the set. So she had to work with what she had. But the movie, therefore, falls into a lot of the tropes, if not cliches, of, of the formula of a, of a superhero movie where you expect some sort of massive conflict that involves mm-hmm. powers that are honestly ambiguous. And I think that that's a major complaint about a, a range of superhero movies because the stakes aren't clear. It's not clear what these people can do, so the fight, the fighting is kind of difficult. It's a nice visual spectacle, but to understand what they're capable of and what can happen to them, I mean, that's not written into the scripts all that well. So you get that yeah. here. Too. And I wonder, mentioning it like, you know, if there were some script rewrites that she proposed they didn't take. I mean, from the very beginning, you know, on this feminist idea, when uh, the, the pilot, Trevor, you know, lands, there's these times when he, like, tells Diana to get behind the rocks when the Germans are shooting. Mm-hmm. Right. And, like, if I'm really generous, I'm like, it's because she doesn't know about bullets. But, like... But even she does in, because of the first act. She right? saw what the yeah, effects like, of the uh, I just because yeah. even in like um, in the in um, the Star Wars, even in uh, new Star Wars, Eli, Force Awakens. Yeah, even in the Force Awakens, they really spend time. Ray um, and the other guy, whose name why can't I remember? Um, uh, 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 Ray and Finn have that exchange where Finn is trying to lead Ray, and she's like, "Don't lead me," you know. Like they really right. address that, and it, that's not a particularly feminist movie. Like period. I mean, we'd have a great female lead and a lot of other stuff. Um, but like – and I was like, you know, how can – like how can – I'm watching Wonder Woman and I'm like 30 minutes in and I'm like – and he's telling her to get behind rocks. I'm like, this doesn't work. Like that's – that is – that should not be included or – you know, like – and it also like she can't let it pass. And I, and I do see – like if I imagine Patty Jenkins working in the structures of the script, there are times especially when like they're talking to the congressmen or generals, those folks, where she just – where Wonder Woman just – steps in and like says what she wants to say even though people tell her not to. Um, but even so, the, even in those shots, there's like – there's men looking at her. There's men pulling her away. There's men controlling this all around her. Um, and I – there that went at odds with I think what uh, she tries to portray in various other parts of the film. Um, so it – like uh, the idea yeah, – it seems like um, there were some elements of the script that uh, – Worked toward worked against the goals that I think Patty Jenkins was working for, um, and it's in, it was like interesting and disappointing for me to see them in there. Can I ask you both to step out of Wonder Woman for a second? Yeah. Sure. What are what are the best villains you've seen in superhero movies? Uh, well, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, my my probably my favorite recent villain um, is um, Kilgrave from Jessica Jones. Um, yeah. Um, I, I mean, and I think like that show is like probably one of my fame. Like I would, 
if I taught a class on feminism, I would use that because like his power, right? His, he, 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 he essentially has like male privilege as his power, right? Yeah. What, what, right. Whatever, whatever he says, <laughs> people do. They're not even sure why they do it, right? Um, you know, and the way that she is controlled by him, even though she doesn't want to, and and like the support group of how people talk about how they made he made them do things, and they didn't want to do it, but they wanted to do it a little bit. Like that is a really interesting and complex way of dealing with um, privilege and social pressure and and a, a whole lot of things. And he is, frankly, I mean, he is one of my favorite villains. He doesn't. He doesn't punch anybody. He literally um, just says things. And the contrast between the way in which he says things and the horrible things that he makes people do to themselves and others, scariest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Hmm. I I mean, the one that first popped in my head is a little cliched, but uh, the Heath Ledger's Joker from the Batman films. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that's more performance than necessarily the character itself. I mean, I think he's... That movie also gets messy at the end. But I think his his sort of lack of understanding of what he what he's trying to do is interesting. Um, is just messing with Batman and people. Um, I think it was an interesting take on things. Uh, I also think Magneto in the X Men movies, if you consider him a villain, and I, I just recently watched X Men Apocalypse, which mm-hmm. is uh, po- Apocalypse is not a good villain. But in Magneto, in that he sort of fluctuates as he tends to do in most of the recent X Men films between sort of being a villain and on the good side. Um, but I think that for me, his struggle with constantly seeing uh, maybe I'm just fascinated with this idea of sort of humanity failing itself um, and him sort of giving up on them and then finding some reason to to come back to uh, to protecting them or finding some reason to to carry on uh, is interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I asked this question because we, it was raised a moment ago when it comes to Ares and how he's written as a character. And it seems yeah. to be a mixed bag and they seem to not fully get behind him or know how to write him or, you know, maybe there needed to be a few more drafts of the script so as to make that character work. I think with Wonder Woman, there's a problem of just one too many villains. I mean, they yeah. they give screen time to three different villains. And I understand the idea is that there's a central mystery here that she's trying to uncover. Yeah. And that has to do with her identity, too, that the the conflict with Ares or the discovery of Ares is also the discovery of who she is in this world. And that's fine. Um, And uh, that's fine. I do think that part of the problem is in a lot of these superhero movies, and it has to do with the feedback loop from fans, I think. They want – here's the word that you always hear. You want complexity. Now, (laughs) you know, I, I, I wonder whether these things are complex. I think they're muddled. Uh, and yeah. that's what ends up happening. Whatever happened to the art of writing a villain that just generates intense emotions through being pure evil and that you desire to see the comeuppance of that villain? This seems to be, in a way, a lost art. Forget about Thanos. I mean, what do we know about the guy? Uh, it's- yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I, I am hard-pressed to really remember any of the Marvel villains specifically. Maybe, like, Loki, Loki is Loki. the standout one. But again, he's like... Half good, half bad. I mean, he, like, kind of works with people. But, yes, that was the only villain, I think, from I don't know how many Marvel films that have come out now. My hunch is that Marvel fans, if they were, you know, if they had the chance to respond to this, they would say, well, that's part of the point. 
that these are not really about that kind of thing. I'm just yeah. talking about what makes a decent movie where you feel like there are stakes and there's a payoff at the end. As it happens, I think that the one good villain that in the recent Marvel movies is Zemo. From uh, he often forgotten, oh, yeah. and a lot of a lot of people thought he was not all that good. But mm-hmm. I thought this was a very good actor, and the scenario is kind of engaging. Here's this guy who has no powers and is manipulating. I mean, here's a guy he doesn't throw a punch either. He just manipulates them into this space and gets them to fight each other. I mean, I think it's pretty good uh, for that reason. Or at least it's well-written and interesting or different. But um, anyway, that's maybe a side, uh, just a tangent. I was just curious about what you thought. I was going to mention, um, I've heard somebody suggest in Wonder Woman that if they should have left Zeus, or not Zeus, but Ares as an idea, um, because I think they certainly have that conversation through the film that, you know, nobody else really believes her that Ares is a real person influencing this, um, that if they just had left that as an idea, I mean, I think that would have different sort of philosophical, you know, directions to go in, um, that the film would have gone in a totally different direction, but that could have been interesting, at least in this film, if she never actually finds the man, um, but she learns what, what war is like. Um, understands that. Yeah. Concept. Well, I also, I mean, one of the one of the things I wanted to call this podcast at the beginning yeah. at the beginning, Colin, was cut the last ten. Right. Just imagine Wonder Woman if the <laughs> last scene of the film is her seeing a a, 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 a tiny little bit of Ares's face in that German watchtower, mm. and we're mm. done. Right. Yeah. She kills. She kills this other person who is not Ares. Right. And then has to deal with that. And, and, and the big reveal is we realize that she, you know, that Aries is still out there and possibly real, right? Um, sure. I, I, so, and for me, so the, the thing with the, I, I've, the criticism of the multiple villains. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I may be trying to rehabilitate it a little bit, but um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Lord of the Rings, and one of the one of the ways in which the the Lord of the Rings story in the books and the movies makes. Uh, allows us to see the moral fiber of various people in the world is what they do when they're offered with the ring. Um, Frodo offers the ring to a whole lot of people, and Faramir is the only person really um, who refuses it. Um, Gladriel does, but she also she has more of a compulsion sort of thing. Um, but it, it's one of the things that differentiates Faramir from Boromir because Faramir refuses it, Boromir tries to take it and allows himself to sort of be a vehicle of Sauron, sort of do it or whatever when he gets possessed. So um, there are these series of people um, uh, in the in the story, um, and we and we use the the way in which. Uh, they dealt with the ring as a way of evaluating them. And I think in Wonder Woman, there's this bit where there, there are three different villains, and she sort of deals with them in different ways, right? There's this – the first villain she encounters, believing him to be evil, she just kills him, right? The second villain she encounters, um, knowing that she is evil as – equally as evil when prompted by Ares to say she is undeserving um, of mercy, uh, Wonder Woman says it – you know, like it – she doesn't deserve it, but it doesn't mean that I uh, don't give it. It's not about whether she deserves it or not. It's about what I choose about it. And then the third villain, Ares, you know, showing himself to be evil and bad, like gets lightning in the face. Um, and I think that there's uh, – I like I, a lot of the criticism is like, oh, like Poison would be better or other folks would be better. I, I think Ares should be written better, but I don't, um, I don't mind having three different – villain fights in there. Two are sort of mini-boss fights, if you will, and then we have the final one. But it allows Wonder Woman a chance to evolve a little bit and show what she feels about stuff and sort of um, her approach. Um, I did, and and I I could not get past this with Poison. So, like, 
Wonder Woman has the tank above her and she's there and her mask finally peels away and we see that she's a deformed woman. Sure. And then – and Ares says, oh, like she is the most dis- despectable of humanity. Um, and I'm like, really? Like an ugly woman is the worst we got? I mean like it's just – the way in which it was framed as like we were – the thing we noticed in that scene was her deformity. Um, it, was, it was just – too male gazy for me at that point. I'm like, if Aries would have mentioned something about something poetic about how you know she manipulated science or something, fine. But it's just where you were in, encountered with a pathetic woman who's been deformed. I'm like, come on, that is a really, really crappy way to do yeah. that. And, and and a really, it also doesn't like respect what that character is or what she represents or why Wonder Woman might spare her anyway. It bothered me. Well, there, there's. I mean, there's a good film scholar by the name of Murray Smith who wrote about sympathy, sympathy structures in movies, Mm -hmm. not identification and how we identify with characters. That's been done to death. But how movies work to generate sympathy. What I'd like to do, given what you say, because I think I think that assessment of the three villains is kind of is really, uh, really good. Um, I'd like to watch the movie again with that in mind. But when it comes to Dr. Poison, I think. In that moment, when we see her stripped of her mask, I want to look at it again because I remember feeling sympathy rather than Mm -hmm. anything else, which is to say that the movie aligns us with her in that moment and with, of course, Wonder Woman when she's about to do what she's going to do. In other words, doing that, of course, to build up Ares as the guy who's the scumbag. Uh, the real scumbag behind the scumbags kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's a way in which that scene works that might be lo- worth looking into a close, more closely because I don't have the details at my fingertips here. But I think yeah. there's a little building of sympathy with her there. Now, as far as, dis- you know, uh, grotesque, the female grotesque and stuff like this, this is the law. Lo- I mean, this is one of the oldest tricks in the book. Uh, villains are often painted this way. The James Bond franchise often does yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, give these villains some sort of deformity or impurity. And the movie seemed, though, to be playing with it in a potentially smart way. That's why I'm saying that it w- it's too bad that we didn't get more of Dr. Yeah, Poison and explore yeah. that a little bit. Because in generating the sympathy for her, I think we begin to see a little bit of beauty in her, too. But it's not the mm-hmm. conventional beauty. Uh, but it's only fleet. I mean, there is something about the scene at the, at the sort of party ball thing yeah. that they have. And... Uh, and I, I don't think we can defend Dr. Poison as far as the lives she killed and things. Uh, but, you know, I think she is, I think they went out of their way to make the point that she is sort of caught in this male society, that she is a woman of science, but has been sort of put under this this male rule, patriarchy, um, for their purposes. You know, that she is committed to this, uh, I can't remember his name, the other villain. Um, General Lee yeah, yes. And uh, so she is kind of taken in by Chris Pine's offer um, of something different. But, you know, the moment that she sort of sees that there's this different motivation behind it that I mean, he's kind of offering her the kind of scientific approach of what you can do with this, that I respect um, your work and who you are in that way. And and she quickly recognizes, you know, what he actually which is mistaken, but um, what she thinks he's actually after. And so I think she, it's trying to point to that she could have been maybe a different person if she was not caught in the same society um, as others. And I think we see a, a, 
direct opposite view of Diana, who is raised in this female society, who is strong and confident and just doesn't Good have point. any of these preoccupations, um, and that she can kind of cut through all that and see past it. Um, so I think there is a strong contrast between those two characters. I don't, I, I don't know what that would say about her sort of the way that her face is portrayed and, and any deformity. Um, I think they were trying to show <coughs> that she didn't think that she could be sort of looked at by men in in a way that Chris Pine seemed to be at first, that she would be, anybody was going to talk to her at this party, you know, would be interested in her in, in any way. Um, so it was kind of playing with that idea as well. Yeah, I think I think that's a really great point. I think, though, that we're, we're kind of pumping the character with things that we want to see there a little bit. No, no, I mean, I want to see them too, and I think yeah. there are hints at them. But uh, the, other, the, the thing that undercuts some of that, at least in that scene, is where there is a hint, correct me if I'm wrong, that she's infatuated with General Ludendorff. Yeah. It does but, imply that too, yeah. Yeah, so, so that she won't leave him, not because this is a kind of male-dominated society, but really mm-hmm. she's interested in romance, and yeah. that's what keeps her there. That, I mean, what you see yet again is that she's written again through the, the premise of romance, which again was yeah. part of the problem here, as I yeah. keep coming back. But um, yeah, uh, I also wanted to um, make the point that Patty Jenkins was originally attest, uh, attached to the second Thor film and ended up leaving that film because of creative differences. So I think it does. I mean, certainly, I'd be interested to see more. Like you said, Colin, kind of the behind the scenes of both Wonder Woman and what happened with that. She was definitely somebody in the ring for these superhero films to be brought in as a female director, but and finally got to work on on Wonder Woman and did a great job, I think, for for what she had to work with. But I I don't know. You know, there, there's probably a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't see, but hopefully that points to she does have some sort of vision of what she's trying to accomplish if she did a superhero film and she's kind of standing by that. And, and, and I don't know what the, I think we were talking beforehand about what, you know, what this is going to mean for other, not just superhero films, but Hollywood. Um, we've seen Catherine Bigelow have lots of success and award success, but not a lot of other women, um, comes from that. So, uh, I don't know. It's interesting that, that she was attached to another project and left. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there's, there, there are other examples of this, uh, of women walking off or, or having, uh, some shown some interest, let's say there's Ava mm-hmm. DuVernay who passed yeah. on, on, yeah. on Black Panther, which right. would have been absolutely extraordinary to have seen her do <laughs> But I yep, think she's, yeah. she's more, I don't know what her reason's for. Maybe you can, I can't recall what they were, but I think she's not totally invested in being involved in any kind of massive project of that kind at this point of her career. I don't know. I think she's more of an indie person kind of thing, likes her own she, independence. Uh, she is currently making A Wrinkle in Time for Disney, so which I don't think is would be as big of a film as a Marvel superhero film. But um, it does. It will be interesting to see what comes of a more straightforward um, Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, I mean, it'll it'll be interesting to see how Patty Jenkins responds to this. There's already talk mm-hmm. of her trying trying to get a second one done. But then some people are saying, and not necessarily people in her ear, but people that I've read and so on, saying, "Great, take this success and walk away." 
go yeah. make go make less commercially inclined movies and make ones that are kind of full bore feminist, if you like. Uh, so you so you don't have to you don't have to adhere to some of the strictures here within the system. Oh, so what I wanted to say. So there's, I mean, the question like uh, when I when I first read uh, your blog article like you know is this about a feminist blockbuster um and talking about the idea of romance you know the, the question i thought is like is there like does a does a feminist blockbuster have to be absent of romance um you know the, like what place does it have in there um and i thought you know i i, I didn't read i when i read stuff before i see films that I, i'm interested in really seeing i don't i just read kind of like general approaches i don't want to know what happens i don't want spoilers mm-hmm. um, and i didn't know and i thought i mean like the Wonder Woman that I know from the graphic novels that I've read, particularly Alex Ross's work, like she she has some kind of like had a fling or had a thing with Superman, but like they're not together. Like she isn't with anyone. Um, and and I, and so I was interested to see what happens in the film. And she you know she starts off you know in this w- space with all women, um, but the minute the man shows up, there's clearly like at least some interest. Um, you know, and I, I do like the scene in the pools where, like, mm-hmm. they're kind of looking at each other's bodies like young teenagers. You know, it's not particularly sexual. It's just kind of like that's a funny thing you have there. Um, but I like as it went along, every time that there is some kind of romantic thing, the them going into the room and kissing, mm-hmm. the part at the end we talked about, I just it just felt out of place. Yeah. Like I don't I don't need it. It gets in the way of it. Uh, of the the larger story, and it, and it actually doesn't seem like something she would do. Like I don't think she needs that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. She never d- is like uh, describes herself as lonely or needing connection or any of that kind of stuff. She like takes care of a job. Like if there's like a machine gun that needs to be taken, she steps out, puts her shield in front of it, and gets the job done. Um, and I think that's the you know, the character that she plays in most of the film. And so I just I, I like if I envision. You know, like the uh, you know a feminist blockbuster, or you know this as more of a feminist blockbuster. That the romance is really not at all there, um, and it maybe may, maybe like for the um, you know the the Hollywood accountants, there's some sort of love affair between two other people that are like not her, you know, because we have to sell stuff. Um, but I just you know like I I don't know I I she did such a good job like you know. Stopping bullets and crashing into churches <laughs> that I don't I don't need anything else and I don't want anything else like I, I don't want all that other stuff in there um, and certainly yeah and certainly I think it undercuts um, the, the the goal of the film you know if it has a feminist agenda that's my bit well I mean whether or not there can there be a feminist blockbuster w- without romance I mean I certainly think so yeah um, or or one that minimizes it. Uh, so, I mean, just to pick up with on another franchise that's, well, it's in the air at least. Yeah. Uh, a- Aliens, the second Alien movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are there are hints at romance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, but the Gordon Weaver character at the at the, you'll notice how the last act is written. It's not really about um, both achieving the objective of killing off the the mother alien and forming a romantic couple with, uh, what's his name, Higgs. Yeah. Um, that's not part of it. It's hinted at. It's part of the script. They've wrote, they wrote it in, and I think it's something that Hollywood wants uh, mm-hmm. as as a kind of human interest thing to get people involved emotionally, to yeah. flesh out the characters too, to give them more than just a goal of conquering the planet or defeating a villain. And it's going to be there in most cases. But you'll notice in the case of Aliens, and I'm by no means saying that Aliens 
is more of a feminist movie necessarily. I'm mm-hmm. by no means saying that. Mm-hmm. But I would say that they did minimize the romance there. Yeah. Uh, they tried to keep it on the down low a little bit. Uh, the thing that, I mean, it speaks to the structure of Hollywood that it's perfectly reasonable to have male star vehicles, action movies, where there's no romance or there's no romantic subplot. I mean, there's in fact something going on in Hollywood where there's this, there's this kind of lone wolf movie. Think of John Wick. Mm, yeah. uh, think of Jack Reacher. Uh, some French produced movies like the Transporter series, Taken, mm-hmm. where there's no real sustained romantic subplot here. They're kind of like these, these Bruce Lee type characters who are these kind of monks who if you prod them enough, they're going to burst and take out you know, you and all of your organization or whatever. Rambo First Blood Part 2. Well, okay, right. So there's yeah. no romantic subplots. With men, we can imagine it. Yeah, I was going to say, women, it's all men, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think we definitely will hopefully <laughs> see, you know, some changes in Hollywood. I think it will still be slow and um, not not as powerful as we think it will. And and I also, I'm I'm not downgrading the feminist aspects or what what an impact this film can have for women or girls or anything like that but i think we can't discount talent involved too in this prospect so um patty jenkins seems like a very talented director like we said the the actors and the performances um were really amazing and that doesn't always happen um so i i don't know that we can easily uh, reproduce that all the time but that being said and I've even thought about this as Jeremy and Jeremy and I make films and you know should we our job be to raise up women in filmmaking uh, I mean we can barely get our no budget films made in of ourselves so yeah. uh, we don't really have that clout but um, you know I think I would love to see more female representation and and what kind of stories we would we would see from that um, would be really interesting. Well, just to give you an example of the type of thing one would like to see, mm-hmm. uh, I just finished reading this. It pertains to the issue of feminist blockbusters, but it's okay. kind of out there. I just finished reading three novels called The Money Penny Diaries, mm-hmm. written by a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first the first ever series of, of Bond stories written by a woman. Hmm. In fact. And Money Penny, it's all first person because it's all written through the lens of either Money Penny or her fictitious uh, niece who comes upon these diaries. Yeah. They're absolutely brilliant. Hmm. Absolutely brilliant. And what's in them? There's romance. Money Penny, guess what? She falls in love with other people other than James Bond. <laughs> you know? And she actually has rich relationships that, that sort of fade away and come back in their suspicion. And she talks with other women at the Powder Vine about about these relationships, about the, about men, but also women within the service. And you get a totally different perspective on these things. And at the end, I don't want to give it away. It's worth reading all three. Money Penny ends up being the hero of this story set in the, set in the 1960s. It's, it's quite extraordinary on a, 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 you know, if you really wanted, and they're never going to do this, I say never, and I'm quite, quite certain about it. If the Bond franchise ever got behind a kind of feminist blockbuster trend, they could do worse than to start by adapting those three novels because they're really, really extraordinary. Just to throw out some ideas about what could be done. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I would be interested at some point. I don't think we have time tonight to hear your 
perspective yeah. <laughs> on you know the modern James Bond films even and how they view women um, in them because I, I don't think it's it's changed very much <laughs> at all from my perspective. Um, sure. But uh, with G- with you bringing that up, I think it'd be interesting conversation because um, I think you're right. They probably I, I don't know that would be very likely to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, can I just oh, yeah, go, go ahead? ahead. Um, what, can go, I just interject? Yep. With yeah. a question here. I mean, what do you think the cultural impact of Wonder Woman is to come back to it? I mean, mm-hmm. if that's that's the big question here, we've been picking it apart as just a, a two-hour, four-minute phenomenon, right? But it seems like it's it's having more of an impact than that. It's almost to the extent that whatever impact it's having, we've touched on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, through the way the movie's put together, the story's told, the characters are built and so on. But whatever else is happening, it's emerging as a phenomenon, it seems to me, in many, many different ways. And I don't know if any of you have come across things that could fill that out, but I'm definitely curious about its broader cultural impact rather than just how it's put together as a movie. Well, I mean, one of the things that I followed uh, a good bit was like the the controversy around the Alamo Draft House holding a women's only screening of the film. Right. Um, I, I, a good friend of mine is from Austin. Um, uh, she got like when, when she got married, like they, um, they had like uh, they, her and her husband were both into Lord of the Rings, and when they had like the Lord of the Rings stuff at Alamo Draft House, they went back. It's like a big part of their lives. I've never been to one, but like I, I love the idea of like a cool indie place where I can watch <laughs> a film and yeah. drink a beer and have some cool pizza. Um, uh, you know, and, the, and they've been on the forefront of a number of other things as well. But um, you know, it. Uh, it's interesting. It was interesting for me to, to to see what people said about having a women's only screening of it because it was a, a typical, um, uh, you know, a typical comment section on the internet about oh, yeah. you know, this is you know when liberals want to say that you know you can't discriminate against anything, then you can't actually do this kind of thing. Um, uh, but it was clear that like regardless of the the back and forth or the details of it, there were a whole lot of women that were really into that idea. And that there were a whole lot of women that spoke up and said, I, I, I want to go to celebrate with other women uh, this hero, which has meant something to me in the past um, at, at this particular event. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, you know, for, um, you know, folks that I know that are mothers that have daughters, it's like this, you know, a, I don't multi-generational event like you know because for a lot of mm-hmm. fo- like we had she-ra but for a lot of folks there was like wonder woman like that's that's it you know there in like there are other female characters in comic books for sure but there's no one really like wonder woman i mean she has the lasso of truth she has like this separateness from humanity separateness from mankind with an emphasis on man she has a, a conviction for taking care of people and saving people. And even when she's portrayed in graphic novels, you know, in, in like in Alex Ross's work, she works with the UN. Um, she is a, like a, a towering figure standing up for the greatest principles that like this planet produces. Um, and so uh, to see um, that film, I don't, I don't know the right word, sort of like let loose with a female director and some, you know, really big girl power moments in it. Um, it, 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 I think has become a, a focal point for a lot of people to start and have a conversation about progress, you know, like look at the world at looking at Linda Carter and look at the world looking at Gal Gadot, you know, look at how things have changed. Look at how the, the, you know, the world is different now. Um, and I think that, um, I mean, 
I don't, you know, I, I'm not super good at telling the future. I don't know what it will, uh, what it will become, or what we'll say about it. Um, but I think that, um, you know, just in the time when the, the film is out and people are watching it, um, it's a thing that, like, you know, I mean, I could totally imagine, you know, a few years later, like most women talking about, yeah, like I took my daughter to Wonder Woman, or like, yeah. you know, where this is what I was doing when, like, we went to see Wonder Woman, and it being this um, milestone in in folks' lives. Um, and certainly, like, I, I mean, like I said, just for me, like, as, as I, you know, um, understand more about feminism and understand sort of more of what is um, going on with that in the modern world um, um, and seeing that in art, I mean, there are, like, one of my, like, I, I'm rambling on a lot, but, like, watching um, Lost in Translation and seeing the way the camera was done differently with Sofia Coppola and, and seeing her, like, masterful but different touch on a whole lot of elements of that film, it really allowed me to see all the other places in art and film where it was clearly the hand of a man, which is not to say that men are entirely monolithic, but there were expectations and demands about how things are done and how things are shown um, that, that really highlighted it for me. And I think that that, that probably that's maybe what this film will do most because you can say, I mean, you can like compare Wonder Woman with every other DC film and every other superhero film. And it becomes a, a counterpoint. It becomes, um, a, a really important part of the argument about like, what kind of heroes do we need to have for our kids? What kind of heroes make good films? What kind of films are we going to make? Um, and I think that without a doubt, uh, it's commercial success is tremendously important because there are, there are, there are like, Amazing feminist writers, phenomenal feminist critics out there in the world, but there I don't think has been um, such a, a, a central, big, powerful woman presence that um, that this like this film, you know, in my recent memory. Yeah, I mean, I would approach it a couple ways. Recently, my wife, who also helps us on a lot of our films, she's been challenging me with my perspective. So when we watch, say, TV shows together, there's certain times where I've been like, you know, that was a good episode, but I didn't really connect with it. The, the emotions seemed off on these characters or something. And she's often challenged me like, well, was that because it wasn't, that episode was not focused on a man. So it probably, you couldn't really see that same perspective as you would if it was a male character, that I couldn't identify with them in the same way. Um, which I think has really kind of ch- is not always the case. I don't think, if I'm being honest with myself, but in in sometimes that's true. And I think I did have this assumption, even kind of unknowingly, that that it should appeal to me in some way, um, even though if it is focused on a female character, that it that it doesn't need to. That I can see it from a different perspective, and I think we can't deny the impact that it does seem to be having on women. Um, leaving that, just reading stories about. You know, girls being really excited and just kind of saying, like, I saw Wonder Woman today when I went and saw this, you know, just like these amazing representations of women that they can stand for. And I also approach it as, you know, if we look at the recent versions of Superman and Batman um, since Christopher Nolan's and even Christopher Nolan's, it's very dark, it's very gritty. I don't really know what they stood for in those films. Um, Can't really say, but I I can kind of see what wonder woman clearly stood for and when halloween rolls around would i want my kids really like i mean certainly batman and superman are iconic but 
as a representation of who these heroes are in our current culture, who would I want my kids to be dressed up as, you know? Um, something that they can really get behind and stand for, or the sort of dark, brooding character um, who's kind of conflicted. And I think also it's interesting to see that Warner Brothers has kind of shifted the, the tone of their DC films, possibly. Like, the new Justice League films, they've really made a point to show that there's more humor or any humor in them now. Um, and I think <laughs> Patty Jenkins is kind of the first step in that direction. Um, so it's cool to see that they have trusted her, or at least she has brought that forth as the new direction. And it's and it's obviously successful because the, the film is um, financially doing well as well. Yeah, I mean... I. To add one more point, because I think yeah. these are both like great reflections on the 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 carrying distance, if you like, of this movie. Yeah. Um, I think here's the challenge. Here's what I would like to see, and I'm not just being nostalgic. Um, mm. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a you know personal note, but I mentioned it before. When I was a fan of He-Man, I didn't tell the I couldn't tell the difference between being a fan of He-Man and being a fan of She-Ra, mm. and I had both both figurines, you know, and I was playing with them both. Hmm. The challenge, I think, is this, to what kind of movie can have an imp impact to such an extent that young boys are playing with Wonder Woman figurines? Yeah. And I, you know, that maybe that's a small thing, but I think it would be indicative of something. Mm -hmm. Something. I'm curious when I go back to, I'm from Montreal, I'm headed back there in a few days, and I've got some nieces and nephews, and... I'm going to, you know, ask them a few questions. You know, do they, I don't think they've seen Wonder Woman at all, mm -hmm. but what their, what their thoughts are, you know, because very, you know, they know the Marvel movies without having seen them. Yeah. I mean, they have that kind of, yeah. that kind of presence. This, um, is a, this is a different category, but I know when, yeah. back to The Force Awakens, when that came out, um, the first toy we got from those films uh, was Ray. Um, and, and it was my uh, oldest boy who was most excited about that character, that wow. he wanted that. And certainly she was positioned as the main new character. Um, but I think that really spoke something to me. And, and, you know, there's been, and Princess Leia's in the other films, but she was never positioned in the same way as sort of an action hero, you know, as uh, she was much more diplomatic and in the background, um, never had, had a full as a character. So I think... Maybe we are seeing changes in that, that for, um, you know, my son was seven at the time, so he didn't really distinguish between male or female characters in that film and saw somebody stronger in Ray than even the Finn character. So um, mm. I don't know if that, if that brings anything to the table, but yeah. Yeah, it does. Jeremy looks like he's gonna say something. Oh no! I I, I thought you had more to your story, Colin. That's why I. Oh, was... did I cut you? No, off? no, no. That was it. No, oh, okay, I mean, okay. in, in a sense, you gave it a punchline, and I didn't have one. Oh, so, I, I, um, yeah. I I do want to say this. Um, uh, my friend Marcy Hogan, who listens to this podcast and is like my BFF, we talk every week on the phone. <laughs> um, uh, she uh is lives in the Bay Area and is involved um, uh, in a lot of different things. But she's a really good friend named Pat, um, who's like a super fangirl for a lot of things including <laughs> Star Wars um, and uh, there's a group of ladies out there women who are making a film called Looking for Leia um, it's sort of like a documentary about um, like the generation generation of women who grew up with um, Princess Leia and other sort of sci-fi heroes as their main heroes you know like mm -hmm. the because um, there's there's you know like 
a lot of women in their in their 30s and 40s who have kids, maybe they have sons, you know, and they're they're going through this process of introducing them to sci-fi or even like participating in fan culture as women, which is tremendously transformed since the, you know, like the, the beginning of fan culture was mostly dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, I've seen, they've done some, I don't know, I, I said the film's maybe like 70% done. Right. Um, I've seen like uh, some dailies and shorts uh, sort of they've shown of it. Um, and it's, what touched me about it was, um, I don't know, just like how important these few female characters in films were to a whole swath of women. Right. Um, and and what it highlighted for me was that there just were not not a whole lot to choose from, because when I think about it, you know, I'm like, and, and you know, and look a little bit back in my life, I'm like, oh, like, like Indiana Jones, like there's like billions of dudes doing awesome stuff in the movies and TV shows that I watched growing up that I can pick from, um, but uh, as far as female characters, there are not a whole lot, and 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 certainly like if you if you're a you're a woman that like likes to kick some ass from time to time. Like, they're, the list is very, very short. Um, and I think because of that, um, it just highlights that characters like Princess Leia um, and a few others um, were very, very important, um, you know, formative for, uh, uh, you know, an entire generation of women as they grew up. So, I mean, and, and so I guess what I wanted to say at the end here is what I'm interested in seeing, like, what I would love to see is like a, a good long sit down interview with Patty Jenkins where she has a chance to talk about what it was like making the film, what it, like the reception of the film was like, what she's planning on doing in the future. Because I think about um, uh, like I really love Toni Morrison's work and a lot of her early stuff is is art criticism. Um, and and and, it, and you know she d- it does amazing work of her own, but also the way in which she talked about and framed other people's works. As an artist, um, I think is one of the most sort of unique um, contributions that she had. So I'd be really interested to see, you know, Patty Jenkins grow into this role of, like, this is the this is the director that made Wonder Woman. Yeah. Like, what does she have to say about, you know, women in superhero films? What does she have to say about women in film in general? Um, and I'd like to see. I, I'm excited to see her sort of. Um, to, 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 to take a role, um, you know, not just in making films, but in talking about films and shaping how we, in, in, a, in a more popular medium and popular culture, talk about and think about films. Yeah, she now has a voice to speak from a successful film, which kind of gives her that voice, I guess. Yeah. If she wants to, yeah, and if, if, she she, wants yeah. To, if she wants to take on that pressure or just go on to make more movies, yeah. I would just say this. One, one thing that would be great to see someone like her do or someone else, maybe Ava DuVernay one day, because mm-hmm. we haven't raised the issue of women of color at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a further layer of difficulty here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, maybe a DuVernay or a Jenkins or someone else we don't know about, it would be great to see if the Alien franchise is going to go on, to see them, for instance, adapt the ongoing comics or mm-hmm. spin off of them uh, the Alien Defiance comics, which are ongoing now, where the lead is a woman of color, black woman, who is disabled and partially cyborg. I mean, there's a lot in there that's yeah, really fascinating. Yeah. There are models. They're emerging. But it's, it's, it's going to take some time, I think, for Hollywood to say, oh, we've got a winner there. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I know uh, – I, mean, I guess probably what I would say, finally, finally, um, I'm a big Doctor Who fan and you know, it's looking like the, the scales might tip <laughs> so that there might be a female doctor one of these times and the manternet is all grumpy about it. <laughs> um, and I was like – I would you – know, 
one of the conflicts that Eli and I have about film is about tr- the first and the second Tron film. <laughs> I hate the second Tron film. I love the first one. And one of the reasons I like the first one is I really feel there's like a, a clear um, and bold artistic vision everywhere in the film. Like it, nothing else looks like it. Uh, e- each of those sort of like images are uh, – have clearly like the, the hand of, a, of an artist in them. Um, and you, you know, it, it means that it, it sometimes people don't like it, um, but I, it's like I, I love the the bold artistry of it. Um, and you know, what was my point, Eli? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh well. By the um, way, I don't dislike the first try. So. Yeah, no, but you, I hate this the is a different, one. Topic. a different topic. I just think the second one is beautiful looking. So yeah, it's also got it's also got one heck of a wicked score. By yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, that's, it's that's a big part of it. I mean, it's basically like, you know, uh, like an hour and a half music video that looks great. So that's why I like it. Did you? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it's the, the Disney series was also fantastic. It's too bad it seems to have stalled. Yeah, I, I think it's done. But it is great, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll cut that random crap that I just said. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I think we can kind of wrap up here. Yeah. Um, and in. Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds like as a group, we're a little mixed on the film and we we may be focused on the things wrong with it. But I think that that may be because it is making such a big statement just as far as Hollywood goes and what we see in the media. Um, But I think we we can sometimes be extra hard on things like that uh, because we have so much hope of what they could represent um, in our culture in that way. And and like you said, all all films are kind of flawed. So it's it's too bad that that final section is weak. But I think ultimately the film is obviously a success for our culture, and um, will hopefully lead to uh, to other interesting things. Yeah, and Colin, I'll let you talk last. I mean, yeah. the the thing that I say is, um, uh, watching the film, um, Gal Gadot is just this like charismatic force. Mm-hmm. That I don't think you know anyone, but maybe Patty Jenkins had any inkling that that they would have such a, a wonderful, charming, powerful performance out of her. Mm-hmm. I just it's like I just don't think they knew quite what to do with it, um, <laughs> you know. And I think that's why you get in the middle this, this the wonderful scene when she goes over the top, which is just like this is yeah. like halfway through the film. I'm like, where are they going to go from here? Yeah. Um, she just brought so much to the film that it was, it was such a joy to watch. And I think that, um, you know, being the central character and being the, you know, the, this Wonder Woman character, um, her performance is a lot of why people, uh, who go and see it really love it. Yeah. And I, I like that they took the time to do small things too. Like the scene where they're getting on the train and, uh, she wants to stop for ice cream. And I think he, uh, Chris Pine's character also enjoys that moment with her um and it's instead of him kind of laughing at her sort of naivety um they kind of just share that moment together and i think in in other types of films like that we would just not they would have cut a scene like that in the script stage but it it told us something um about those characters and the the world she's introduced to but i think it, it is a lot of her performance of what that makes that work i agree yeah I agree too. Well, look, anything deserving of respect, I think, is deserving of some criticism. So, uh, and I think that's been the spirit here. Uh, at the same time, of course, let's go back to how it was phrased before. This is three dudes talking yeah. about <laughs> Wonder Woman. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks uh, for being on the show, Colin. Um, we really appreciate your your insight uh, into film and uh, and this film in particular too. Uh, did you want to mention your uh, blog? And where people can read more? Sure. The blog is called uh, Moving Patterns, 
Colin Burnett's film opinion, opinion and analysis. Um, so I just p- post there whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Being an academic, I can't do that all the time. Uh, about recent movies I've seen, things I've read. And very soon, uh, I'm going to be posting some stuff about uh, things, uh, some stuff about James Bond and what I discovered recently in the archives. So nice. stay tuned. Thanks. Cool. Great. All right. Thanks for listening out there. Thank you.